Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. In the book of John, where he writes in John 21.25, John 21.25, there are are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written, every one. I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. And then in John 20, verse 30, John 20, verse 30. And many other times truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. So what he's saying there is that John is saying, don't look at my gospel for a comprehensive biography of the life of the Lord. If my purpose was to just be a reporter who reported everything that the Lord Jesus did, then if I had the strength, I could probably write more books than have ever been written before in the world. But that's not my purpose, John is saying here. My purpose is to select those events that will cause the reader to make two essential decisions. The first one is to decide and believe, decide to believe, and personally trust that Jesus is the Messiah sent by by God. And the the second essential decision is to decide to believe and personally trust that Jesus is God. He is God the Son. And that these believings, these beliefs, And this personal trusting will bring a person into eternal life. That's John's goal. That was his stated goal. That's the goal of Matthew. And that's God's goal, for that matter, for the whole Bible. And you can see this clearly in how the Lord Jesus showed the Sadducees how they were to look at the Scripture, how they were to look at the Bible, to resolve the problem that they had and that they didn't believe there was life after death. So he told them... In Matthew 22, Matthew 22, verse 29, he said to them, Matthew 22, 29, Jesus answered and said unto them, Ye do err, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God. But as touching the resurrection of the dead, have you not read that which was spoken unto you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. So here come the Sadducees. They come to the Lord. They're saying there's no life after death. When when you die, it's finished, it's over. And the Lord told them that your problem is you're erring. You do err, Matthew 22, 29. You're going astray because you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. Two things. 
You don't know the scriptures. You don't know the power of God. And that's why you're going astray. Now, what did he mean when he said that? You don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. I mean, did he mean that they were ignorant of the passage in Exodus when God spoke to Moses out of the burning bush? And he said, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and God of Jacob. You mean that they fell asleep when the teacher was teaching that passage? You know, that, that they slept during Sunday school? <laughs> you know, is that what he meant? Is that what he meant by you don't know the scriptures? You're not familiar with that? You don't remember that? What happened? I mean, how is it that has anything to do with not knowing the power of God when he said that? The key to seeing the answers to these questions is what the Lord meant when he said, you don't know the scriptures, you don't know the power of God. It's tied up in two words. It's tied up in two words in the verse in Matthew twenty-two thirty-one. In Matthew twenty-two thirty-one, when he said to them, but as touching the resurrection of the dead, have you not read that which was spoken unto you by God? The two words that give us the key to what he mean, to many, what he meant by, you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God are the two words unto you, unto you. I mean, can't you imagine, you know, he said, but as touching, Matthew twenty two thirty one. but as touching the resurrection of the dead, have you not read that which was spoken unto you by God? Can't you imagine the Sadducees saying to themselves, unto us? What do you mean? This is written thousands of years ago. The book of Exodus wasn't written to us. It's just a historical book. It's just recounting what happened. Why do you say unto us? And this is what the Lord Jesus meant when he said, you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. To know the scriptures is to know that this is a book, the Bible, that is written unto us. It's written to us. Just as Matthew and John are making selections on what to report in order to persuade us to put our faith and our trust in God, so the whole Bible is written to us just as it was written to the Sadducees. And to know the scriptures is not referring to knowing every chapter and verse in the Bible, which many of them could recite by heart, every chapter and verse. Of course they knew that God said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob from the burning bush and many other times. They knew that. But so when the Lord spoke there about knowing the scriptures, he's not talking about becoming the Bible answer man. He's referring to knowing that all of the Bible is written to us. And when a person says, how can that possibly be? How can a book that's written thousands of years ago, and I'm born thousands of years later, how can that be written to me? And then the answer is the power of God. The power of God. This is what he meant when he said, you don't know the scriptures nor the power of God. He meant, you don't know that the scriptures are written to you And you don't know that that's possible because of the power of God, of how the scriptures can be written to you. And that means for us that when you and I read the Bible, we should read it. Read passages, which of course are historical accounts, but we should read passages with a second ear that says, what is that, Lord? Sorry, Lord. What, What is that? What are you saying to me from that passage? How are you writing that to me? And what response are you looking for from me, Lord, as I, as I read this passage here. So don't look at Matthew for a biographical, continuous narrative of what happened next and what happened. That's not God's goal. That's not the God's goal in the book of Matthew. Look at Matthew as reported events that are selected by God 
for the purpose of leading us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. That's what the book's all about. So that leads us now to see what is omitted in the verse 12 about John, about John, and specifically about this history about John being cast into prison. I mean, there are very specific details surrounding the reason why Herod cast John into prison that had to do with John telling Herod that it was wrong for Herod to marry a sister-in-law, okay? But all those details are admitted here, and they'll be presented later in chapter 14 where they'll become important because if those details were here, they would only get in the way of us being led to come to the conclusion that God intends in verse 12 when it says, when Jesus heard that John was cast into prison, he divided into to, to Galilee. So here the reason is that John was cast into prison and, and why he's cast into prison is not important. It's not important here. But what is important is that John was cast into prison and that was the signal that caused the Lord to leave Galilee and to leave Nazareth and to go to Galilee to preach. So the point here is that John was a very highly revered, recognized prophet in Israel's. In fact, the Pharisees uh, were afraid about this. In Matthew twenty-one fifty-six, Matthew twenty-one fifty-six, when the Lord said the baptism of John, uh, whence was it, from heaven or of men? And they reasoned with themselves, saying, if we shall say from heaven, he'll say unto us, why didn't you believe him? But if we shall say of men, we fear the people, for all hold John as a prophet. Now that's important because it shows us the setting here. John was seen by the people as a great prophet. And so all Israel goes out into the wilderness to hear John, you know. So when John was cast into prison, you can imagine with the people, it's a real, oh no, you know, not John. You know, the people have come to value John and they're, you know, what are we gonna do without John the Baptist? We need John the Baptist. So when John the Baptist leaves his work, leaves his work here because he's cast into prison, the Lord appears. The Lord appears to take up the work. And it shows us here that God is not gonna leave himself without a witness. Just as Paul told the Gentiles this in Acts 14, 17, Acts 14, 17, when Paul said, nevertheless, God left not himself without witness and that he did good and he gave rain from heaven, fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. So John the Baptist is removed from the people just like Moses was removed from the people when Moses died. I mean, here, here are millions of people who trust Moses. They, Moses gives them the words they should believe. Moses leads them. Moses defeats the enemy, the Egyptians. Moses gives us water and so forth. So their leader is now, he's dead. And, and you can imagine, you know, Moses is gonna go over this hill to die. And they're saying, no, Moses, you can't die. Don't die. We need you. We haven't come to the land of Canaan yet. What are you doing? And he takes this walk up this, uh, with God up to this mountain, and the, and the people lose sight of Moses as he walks away, and he dies up there, and he doesn't come back. And just when the people thought that God had forsaken them because Moses was gone, then he calls Joshua, God's called Joshua, in Joshua 1.1. Joshua 1.1, and it starts off, it says, Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord... It came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to Israel. 
Now you just imagine, you put yourself in Joshua's, you know, shoes. You put yourself in Joshua's place, and, you know, and here comes God, and the first word God says to you, Moses, my servant, is dead. <laughs> That's a pretty depressing start. But this is what God says to Mo- Joshua. Moses, my servant, is dead, and now it's your turn. It's your turn to go into the place of Moses and so he encourages Joshua in and in, in Deuteronomy 31.23, Deuteronomy 31.23, and he gave Joshua the son of Nun a charge and said, Be strong and of a good courage, for thou shalt bring the children of Israel into the land which I swear unto them, and I will be with thee. So Moses, my servant, is dead. Now Joshua, arise. It's just like John is cast into prison. Now Jesus, arise. And so this is God's call to pass the baton. Okay, now, when you read in verse 12 that John is cast into prison, it's the end of John's ministry, it's over. But verse 12 is important for us as we look at our lives when it says John was cast into prison because we we realize that, you know, somehow back in our mind we realize, you know, disability and death, it's gonna come to everyone and I'm included. But we kind of push it out of our minds that it's gonna come to us. You know, this was brought home to me last week when, I sat down with Joseph, my son, and I. We sat down with a neighbor. He's 80 years old. Now, this person has been a rancher in Idaho with thousands of acres of land, off the grid, no electricity, and he's, you know, done everything and made this whole thing successful. He's a real, real uh, done-it type person. And now, you know, he's living on the coast. He's got a fishing boat. He's got an ATV. And as we're talking... Joseph and I are talking with him. He's telling us how he can't go out on his boat anymore because it bangs around too much. He, you know, even if he has somebody to do all the captain work and everything, he can't use his ATV anymore, and his house is up for sale. And so here's an 80-year-old. I was kind of sort of stood back, and I was watching Joseph talk with him, and I think to myself, here's an 80-year-old speaking to a 45-year-old, <laughs> okay? And so after he left, I asked Joseph, I said, so well, what'd you think? What'd you think of the conversation? And Joseph said it was interesting to him to listen to a person and observe how he was transitioning from being able to do everything to being able to do very little now. And when we read the verse in verse 12, when it said John was cast into prison, we realized that John was never going to come out of prison alive. It caused us to realize that, that John's ministry was over And so it kind of leads us into understanding that we have a very limited time on earth to do the work of God. It reminds me of the history that the Lord Jesus told in Luke 16. In Luke 16, 1, he said said also unto his disciples, there was a certain rich man which had a steward, and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. And he called him, and he said unto him, how is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest be no longer steward. So here's the steward. He's got responsibility over the business of the, of the rich man. And then he's, because he's accused, the rich man calls him in. He demands him to give, a, you know, give, an, give an explanation of what happened. And then the steward hears at the end this most terrifying words in Luke 16, 2, where, where he's told, thou mayest be no longer steward. And we can imagine the steward thinking to himself, but, but I thought I was always going to be the steward. Taking away my stewardship, this is totally a shock. This takes me by surprise. And this is what happened to the steward when he hears these words, thou mayest be no longer steward. Now, each one of us is like a steward, 
I mean, God has given us work. God has given us responsibilities to do, and you know, maybe it's to teach a Sunday school class, maybe it's to visit the sick, bring people to church, many things. But this is what God has given to us to be a steward over. And one day, not because we do anything wrong like this steward in, the, in, in Luke 16, but one day we're going to hear those words and we're going to understand that the message is going to come to us. Thou mayest be no longer steward. And so the best thing we can do is to, to know sooner or later we're going to understand that about us personally. I thought that was being said to me nine years ago in 2010 when I was diagnosed with a stage four non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. You all remember, and God, God gave me more time. Here I am. Anyway. <laughs> but it was at that time those words became meaningful to me. Thou mayest be no longer steward. It became important. And so that's what drove me to, to get Israel Restoration Ministries going with the summer blitzes and the radio outreaches to reach the Jewish people of the gospel. There's nothing like a doctor telling you you have stage four cancer <laughs> to make you hear John 16, 2, thou mayest no longer be steward. So when we read in verse 12 how John was cast into prison, we realize this is the end of John's ministry. And, you know, then it's a time for evaluation. Look back. And say, okay, well, you know, how did he do? What's the evaluation of John's life? And there is an evaluation of John's life. It's in Acts 13.25. Acts 13.25, when it just says, John fulfilled his course. When he said, whom think ye that I am, I am not he. But behold, there cometh one after me whose shoes I am not worthy to lose. This is the evaluation of John's life. Very simply put, John fulfilled his course which means that John had a course. John had a course in life. John could either have fulfilled the course or not fulfilled the course. He had a specific goal God had given to him to accomplish his life, and he accomplished that goal. Just like the Lord Jesus had a specific goal to accomplish on earth, and this is what makes, makes his final word so important when the Lord Jesus said, it is finished, it says in our Bibles, it is finished, the Hebrew word, Asa means to be accomplish, done, accomplished. So really, he said, accomplished, and then he died. So in other words, the Lord Jesus was saying, I accomplished my course. I fulfilled it. I did it. And now, and the Lord Jesus lived in the light of knowing that one day he would know Luke 16, 2 also, thou mayest no longer be steward. He no longer would be steward of healing in person, in his person, in his flesh, preaching in the flesh, forgiving sins in the flesh on earth. And those were the works that he knew he had a limited time to accomplish. And so he said in John 9, 4, John 9, 4, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. So in order for John the Baptist to have it said he fulfilled his course to accomplish his work, he had to first discover what was that course, what was that work, what was that purpose or goal that God had for him to accomplish on earth. And in order for us to accomplish our course on life, our course on life is is not simply to get through the next day, but God has a specific course for us. He has a specific goal, a specific purpose and we need to discover what that is. And it's not like we have to look for a needle in the haystack. He wants to show us. And in order for John to have been crowned 
But with these words, John fulfilled his course. And that meant that after John knew his course, he had to pursue it. He had to stay focused. And that's true for us. It's not just enough for us to discover what God's life work is for us, what has been assigned to us, but we gotta pursue it. Don't get sidetracked. Don't stay on the course. And the life work of the Lord Jesus was to, as it says in Hebrews 2.10, Hebrews 2.10, it says that it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory. That was his life work, to bring many sons to glory. He did that by having a sinless life. So he proved that in a sinless life, he was the Lamb of God without blemish. His life on on earth, he, he summarized it when he told the disciples of John what to report about him. He said in Luke 7.22, Luke 7.22, Jesus answering said unto them, go your way, tell John what things he have seen and heard, how that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and to the poor the gospel is preached. And then he accomplished his goal in his death when he became the atoning sacrifice that opened heaven's doors for sinners, repenting sinners. So the Lord fulfilled this course when he said on the cross, then he said on the cross, accomplished, he meant all of that. And John the Baptist fulfilled his course because John the Baptist was to prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. And when the Lord came, John's goal was accomplished when he said in John 129, John 129, the next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. That was an announcement of the coming of the Lord. That was also an announcement that John's ministry was finished. It was done. And that was the life work of John, was to prepare the people for that day when he said, here he is, the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. And that was his purpose in life. And to make, in order to prepare the people, he had to bring the people to repentance. And so because after all, if he's the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world, you gotta have sins. You gotta know you have sins in order to, to avail yourself of him being the Lamb of God. So he brings the people to tears over their sins. I mean, can you imagine these lines that formed to hear John the Baptist? It's made up of crying people, and they're crying over their sins. As a matter of fact, John actually lost his life by trying to bring Herod to repentance when he told them about his sin over marrying his sister-in-law. And that brings us back to the truth that no one is prepared for the Lamb of God to take away his sins unless he's acutely aware of his personal sins. If a person sees their sins as simply mistakes in life, if a person sees their sins as just like everyone, anyone else's sins, that person's not prepared for the Lamb of God to take away his sins because John one twenty nine does not say, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the mistakes of the world. And John 129 does not say, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of which takes away the sins that are no worse than anyone else's sins. The Lamb of God takes away a person's sins only after that person has seen the awfulness of his own sins. He sees his sins as David saw his sins after he raped a husband's wife and then murdered the husband. And then David said in re- repentance in, in Psalm 51 3. Psalm 51.3, I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen 
in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. You know, when he said that, that last verse, John, Psalm 51, 5, Psalm 51, 5, I was shapen in iniquity and sin did my mother conceive me. David was saying that he was saying, I was dirty and rotten from birth. Now that's what real repentance looks like. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org, tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 